welcome to uh, the live stream. Praise God. I am here. I just got to get lined up right quick. Praise God. All right. We had um, a little issue with the uh, podcast recording, so praise God. I'm glad you're here this evening. Looks like the audio is, uh, is working well. I've got a dear friend that's uh, sitting in the studio with me uh, this evening, and uh, I told him we worked on that audio for almost two hours yesterday, and um, right at the last minute, we lost audio stream. I'm not exactly sure what that's all about, but um, praise God, good things coming. Um, let's, let's pray, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you've freely given to us, Lord. Thank you for your love tonight. Thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Father, for the men and women that are joining in, Lord, tonight, that are hungry for you. They're hungry for your truth. Jesus, you said that if we hungered and thirsted for your righteousness, that that you would see to it that we were filled. And so, Father, we come before you and before your holy word tonight, and we ask you to fill us, Lord. Fill us with your truth. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your wisdom. Fill us with your love. And, Father, I thank you that even though there's a lot going on in our world around us, Father, that, that the chaos around us is, is not producing chaos inside of us. And your peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding, is guarding our hearts and minds. And I thank you, Father, that you are equipping us tonight with your word, with your truth, with the understanding of your kingdom, so that we can more effectively do what you've called us to do and what you've put us on this earth to do. So thank you for this time together. Thank you for your love. Thank you for helping us bring our hearts to attention and hear from you tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. All right, so um, tonight's class is number 12, and um, we're going to be doing a kingdom overview. We, um, we started that... Uh, last week, but really uh, just had an opportunity to introduce it. And so tonight we're going to really uh, dig into that and really look at that. And, and we're doing this for a lot of reasons. Remember, these classes are not just uh, self-help classes, but they're ministry classes. They're, they're taught from the perspective of helping you uh, be more equipped uh, to do what Father God has put you on this earth to do. And so when we talk about ministry, and, and especially ministry in the day and age in which we live. And I don't necessarily mean um, in, the, in the day and age like what's going on in the world around us, but I mean in the New Testament day and age, the days of grace and the days of faith in which we live. It's very, very important for us to understand kingdom. Everything that Jesus did, Jesus did as a representative of his Father's kingdom. Um, even the miracles that he performed, um, he wanted Nicodemus to understand that those miracles, those signs and wonders were being produced from the power and authority and resources of God's kingdom that, that he brought to this earth with him. And then he, of course, said, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit, in, in reference to um, the teachings of Jesus that when you see leaves on a, on a tree move, um, you can see the movement, but you can't see what's causing the movement. And so Jesus is basically saying that these are, are visible miracles, visible signs, but they're coming from an invisible source. And again, he said, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So anyone who's interested in fulfilling their purpose and destiny in Father's kingdom needs to understand that kingdom, understand what it means, understand what it is, understand why Jesus placed such a high priority on it. So I'm very excited. Um, I know I say it uh, about many of the classes, but this uh, class uh, and this subject is one of my all-time favorites. And so without any um, uh, further introduction, let's begin tonight 
in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, we looked at this verse last week, and so we will uh, go back to it again tonight. Matthew chapter 16, and we'll begin at verse number 18, Jesus speaking. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so last week, without a lot of um, you know, review on all of this, um, we see that Jesus' plan always was and remains to this day uh, to give to you and me the keys to his kingdom. Um, think about when you turned 16 and your parents gave you the keys to the car. And so we were talking about this last week. We said that keys represent a few things, that, that keys represent um, access. And so when we, um, when we talk in terms of Father's kingdom and being given the keys to his kingdom, we know that we have access to it. Keys represent authority, praise God. And um, I'm getting my timing off a little bit here, so thank you. Uh, authority, and I'll put the other one on the screen here. And then also keys represent responsibility. So access, authority, and responsibility has been given to you and to me, to every born-again child of God, where Father's kingdom is concerned. Now, um, let's go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew, um, the third chapter. And um, I tell you what, instead of uh, putting... Um, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to do it anyway. I want you to see these verses. Um, so Matthew chapter 3... And let's begin at verse number 1. Um, it's, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John the Baptist's message was very simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But I want you to notice just one chapter over in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then if we go, um, let's go over to Matthew chapter 10. I know I'm running through these kind of quickly, but I just want you to see the pattern. So um, jot these verses down if you don't have time to turn there. But Matthew chapter 10, uh, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Notice what he says here. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, guess what? <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He went on to say, not only proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand, but to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. So notice a pattern here. John the Baptist, if you're not familiar with exactly who he is or who he was, John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus's. He also was supernaturally uh, conceived um, by Jesus's aunt in her old age. And, um, and he was uh, a prophet that was to be the forerunner for Jesus. He was to prepare the hearts of the people to receive their Savior, to receive the Messiah. And so John, of course, because he was a little bit older than Jesus, he began his ministry uh, before Jesus began his, and John began to preach this simple message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, as he's preparing the way for Jesus, Jesus then 
after uh, he turned 30 years old, after he uh, was filled with the Spirit, after he was led out into the wilderness to be tempted in every way like you and me so that he could uh, be an intercessor and a high priest for us. The Bible says he returned in the power of the Spirit and he began his earthly ministry. And guess what? He borrowed John's notes. I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, obviously. It was, it was Father who was instructing both of these great men uh, to teach these things and preach these things. But Jesus goes, and he's preaching the same message that John the Baptist is preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then Jesus calls the twelve holy apostles, and he tells them to go and to preach this same thing, to declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But Jesus also, uh, in the verses that I just showed you from Matthew chapter 10, we see that Jesus connected um, the kingdom with the miracles, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, casting out demons, uh, and so forth and so on. Now, I, I want to complete the circle for you, at least this uh, early uh, ministry circle. So let's go now to Luke, the 10th chapter. Luke chapter 10, and we'll begin at verse number 8. Jesus said, Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick, and, and heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in the day, uh, in that day, and that's speaking of judgment day, in that day for Sodom than for that city. Now, um, we've talked about this group of folks uh, already in our time together, but th this is Jesus' uh, commission, assignment, instructions to the first, I just call them the first 70 missionaries. We know that Jesus preached and ministered and healed the sick. We know that the 12 disciples preached and healed and ministered and healed the sick, cast out devils as well. And then we know that Jesus sent out the 70. We don't know the names of these 70 uh, individuals. We know that he sent them out in pairs of two. So 35 pairs of two who went out and they also preached what this message, that the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. And notice even Jesus talked about when they would go to the different cities that that you know, rejected them, that did not want to receive or hear their message. He told them to shake the dust off their feet and to move on, but to nevertheless say to them, hey, just for the record, the kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God has come near you, all right? Now, let's talk a little bit then about this message because it, it can be easy for us to, um, you know, to overlook uh, the reality that John the Baptist, uh, by the way, Jesus said he was the greatest prophet born of a woman. Then Jesus himself, the Son of God, uh, the eternal Son of God, uh, made flesh and living among us. The 12 holy apostles um, and, and then the first 70 missionaries, that, that each one of them uh, was given this specific message to go and preach. And so the message was repent that the kingdom of heaven is at hand with the 70 missionaries. We don't necessarily have that word repent specifically you know, given to them. Uh, but again, to tell people that the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of heaven has come near you. So the idea about something being at hand, okay, I have, in case you get thirsty, I have a little bottle of water sitting here 
uh, beside me on the table. It's at hand. If it was in another room, it would not be at hand. I would have to get up and go get it. So the idea of something being at hand means that it's as close as your outstretched arm. It is, it is so close to you that all you have to do is reach out for it. It's right there, okay? Now we come to this word repent. And this word repent is an interesting word. In the original language, um, the transliteration of repent is the word metanous. And that's basically a compound word, meta, which means change or change of condition, and nous, which means mind. So this word repent, it literally means a, a changing of one's mind. It, it literally means a shifting to a new condition of mind or a new way of, of thinking, or, or we might even say it this way in, in our language today, a new way of looking at things, a new way of looking at things. So when John the Baptist, Jesus, the disciples, the missionaries, when they, when they preached this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, they were saying to, to the men and women who heard that message that you've got to change the way you think about these things. Well, that brings us to the next question. How was it that they thought about these things? They thought, of, they thought about heaven um, as being three heavens away. They, they thought uh, about heaven, like remember Daniel and in, in fasting 21 days just to get an answer uh, from heaven uh, that, you know, something that he read in the scriptures that was supposed to have already come to pass and, and, and how the, the angel had to fight uh, to break through the demonic forces in the lower atmosphere just to get him his answer. And, and we said that while that's really enlightening for us, Jesus has changed all of that. And not only did he break through that and defeat those de demons in the lower atmosphere, not only, as we learned last week, did he sit you and me uh, up there together with him far above their power and authority, but at the same time, he brought the kingdom of God to the earth. And so I like to try to say it a few different ways, but, but one of the ways is, you know, he's telling folks, if you keep thinking as if the heaven is, you know, your answers, in other words, where does our help come from? All these things that the psalmist, you know, talked about, our help comes from the Lord. And, and, but again, if you keep thinking that your help is very far away and very hard to access, um, you're going to approach that much differently than if you understand that Jesus has brought your help very near and it's as close as your outstretched hand. So he's saying you can't, you can't keep thinking the way you've always thought about these things because Jesus has come to this earth. He's our king and he has brought the kingdom with him. Now, let's, um, let's talk then a little bit about what this kingdom of God is. And um, I'm going to throw out a bunch of different phrases because um, it's vast. In other words, if we, if we talk about the kingdom of God, um, to simply define it, we would say the government of God. The government of God. Now, one of the reasons, you know, that I don't just leave it at that is because when someone hears, you know, government, I think they tend to think politicians or the men and women who've been elected to the offices in government. But when we talk about the United States government, we're talking about the military. You know, thank God for FEMA. Um, a lot of you know our associate pastor, our youth pastor for many years now, our associate pastor here at Heritage, uh, Pastor Mark McClellan and, and, and his family, his wife Sandra and their children, that um, you know, they spent years in Honduras. 
And, um, and of course, the latest hurricanes have, have done quite a bit of damage there. And we, we pray and our hearts go out for those folks. Um, and I was talking to them about that. And I was like, well, Mark, is, you know, is there anything like we have here in the United States, FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management, you know, and, and uh, you know, they've been getting, a, that agency's been getting a lot of, um, uh, of, of work uh, this year with everything that's been going on in our country and with all these different hurricanes and natural disasters. And, and, you know, while again, you know, they're a developing country and they, and they do the best that they can, um, you know, they don't really have the resources like, you know, we have here. But one of the things that he said that was very encouraging, he said that, that, that the individuals, rather than sitting around waiting for their government or waiting for outside help to come and rescue them, that they're actually taking responsibility for their own situation. And so shout out to our brothers and sisters in Honduras and and I know with Jerry and Marilyn O'Dell and the, and the things that we do here at Heritage that, that um, resources are, are, are being funneled to them. But anyway, I just, that was on my heart and I, and I just wanted to mention it. And you keep those folks in prayer. If there's anything, anything that you want to do to try to help them, you feel free to reach out to us and, and we'll try to make some connections there. But when we talk about the government, um, we're, we're talking about you know, the, 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 so many different aspects of, of the government that you know, are in place to serve the citizenry, to, to um, make, you know, here in the United States, uh, you know, the, the pursuit of happiness uh, a possibility. So when we say the kingdom of God means the government of God, we're not just talking about politics or laws or rules and regulations. We're talking about the, the entire package. Um, I say this, you know, I live in government housing. Uh, and what I mean by that is kingdom government, because Father God is my source. His kingdom is the source of every good thing that I have and in, in experience in my life, including the, the home that I live in and, and the vehicle that I drive. And, and so, you know, we think in terms of, of like federal United States government housing, you know, and certainly there's been a lot of improvements made uh, in, in those areas, at least in the metropolitan area here in Birmingham. Um, but when we talk about the kingdom of God and, 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 and how he cares for his own, we're obviously talking about something on a much higher level. Now, let's go back to it, though. The kingdom of God means the government of God. But also you could think of it as, um, uh, let's do this, as the rule of God. So let me swap back over here. So the kingdom of God means the government of God, the um, rule of God, the reign of God, and that's R-E-I-G-N, the reign of God, the, the realm of God. We talk about a dominion and, and a domain. Um, so the rule of God, the reign of God, the realm of God. And I, all these, of course, start with R-E, uh, well, R, start with R, and then the resources of God. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the government of God, His rule, His reign, His realm, and His resources. And of course, we know that when Jesus told Nicodemus that he was producing miracles from the kingdom of God, um, this gives us some insight into what kind of resources, what kind of authority, um, what kind of power, uh, you know, what things can be accomplished uh, you know, by and from uh, Father's government. Praise God. All right, let's go now to Isaiah 9. So when we say that we're going to do an overview. I want to start in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm, this is not going to be an exhaustive study by, by any stretch of the imagination. 
Um, we could literally spend weeks and weeks and weeks on this subject. Um, Jesus rarely opened his mouth on planet Earth uh, and taught without mentioning the, the kingdom of heaven, uh, his Father's kingdom. <laughs> so uh, you know, to, to do an exhaustive study on the kingdom would, would take probably well into next year and our time together on Wednesday afternoons. Um, so I just want to give you an overview. And, and so what I'm most interested in is showing you, you know, some of the key uh, truths about the kingdom and how it relates uh, to you and me, our role in it, our part in it, how Father, uh, you know, views these things, how he's established these things, uh, and, and our ability to function in them, all right? So let's get a little history, a little background. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9, and this is what it says here. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Notice that word, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. All right. Now, these, of course, are you know, beautiful prophetic uh, verses that um, the Holy Spirit gave to us through the prophet Isaiah many, many years before Jesus was born uh, in the manger there in Bethlehem. But notice what he's saying about this Messiah, about this child, about this Savior, this son that's going to be given to us. It says that the government and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then verse 7, man, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he goes on to say that it will not only be established, but it will continue from that time forward even forever. Okay, now I want you to keep this verse in mind, and let's go now to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 and 33, it says this, Another parable he spoke to them, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. Now, there is a principle that we see a few different places uh, in the Scripture. In other words, it's used uh, in different ways. But the, the principle says this, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. Okay? Now, leaven is yeast. And this is speaking of uh, someone who wants to bake a bread and the, uh, the, the yeast quantity compared to the the, the much larger quantity of meal or flour. Uh, in other words, by comparison, the yeast is very little, very small. Um, but what we know about that yeast is that it is, it is alive, uh, it is a, is a culture, if you will, um, and it literally works its way through the entire lump of dough until the entire lump is leavened. Now, we see in Isaiah that the prophecy was that Jesus would, the government would be upon him, and, and of course that he's going to be given to us, he's going to come to this earth. 
and, and the increase of his government will, will know no end. Um, and so if you think about that for a moment, even you know, in Isaiah's day and, and what was considered you know, historical for Isaiah, uh, many different governments um, you know, had come and gone on planet Earth. And of course, since Isaiah's day, many different governments have come and gone uh, on planet Earth. But the prophet said that when Jesus brought his government to the earth, um, that that government would know no end, that it would continue to increase. In other words, it would begin small, uh, but would eventually uh, overtake uh, everything. And so that's what he's saying in Matthew uh, the 13th chapter. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Uh, it, it, it comes in very small. It came in very unassuming. Um, but it will not stop until um, all is uh, leavened. So um, I'll just read this to you from Revelation eleven fifteen. 15. Um, it says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. So, I, I kind of gave you a, uh, you know, a, a beginning, a middle, and, and then the future ending of this, where the prophet said the government would come, that it would come small, but it would grow and continue to increase. Jesus said it would continue to increase like leaven in three measures of meal until the whole lump was leavened. And now we fast forward to the future revealed to us in the book of Revelation, and we see that eventually every kingdom of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. So the simple uh, uh, thing, I guess, that I want to remind you of is that the kingdom is here, and it's here to stay. Okay, I will say that again. The kingdom is here, and it's here to stay. The kingdom is here, and it's here to stay. Now, that's really important because if you've been born again, although I'm getting a little ahead of myself, I'm going to show you in a moment, that if you've been born again, you are in this kingdom and this kingdom is in you. Um, and because you're a part of this kingdom, you're a part of something that will, that will know no end. You're a part of a government that, that will know no end, that will continue to grow and increase. And when we say stand the test of time, it'll stand the test of time now and, and carry on into eternity where there basically is no time. Now, I want to show you something else, though, that I think is, is very important. And that is, if we go back into the Old Testament, um, we see that the Old Testament prophets uh, performed uh, miracles because the, the Holy Spirit was given to them by portion or measure, and the portion of God's Spirit that rested upon them empowered them and enabled them to perform uh, miracles. And we see the same miracles in Jesus' ministry uh, with one exception. And that one exception, I think, um, based on my study of the Scripture, was reserved for Jesus and the New Testament uh, church and the kingdom of God upon the earth uh, to mark the transition, to mark the change. And so if you think about it, Jesus multiplied food. Well, guess what? We see it in the Old Testament where, where Old Testament prophets 
multiplied food. Um, Jesus healed the sick. Um, and we see the same thing in the Old Testament where the Old Testament prophets healed the sick. Um, I was trying to think of the best way to say this. Um, the Old Testament prophets, we see that they operated in a place of authority over nature. Um, meaning, meaning what? Meaning they told it not to rain and it didn't. Uh, meaning uh, an, an iron axe head that had been lost floated up out of the water. Again, you know, nature and gravity, but yet the prophets had authority over nature. We know that Jesus you know, walked on the water and, and, and things of this nature. So there, there are so many similarities that we see uh, that, are, that are strikingly uh, um, you know, connected but again, there's this one exception. And that one exception is only Jesus cast out demons. We have no record of an Old Testament prophet casting out demons. So consider what it says in Luke chapter 11, verse 20. Jesus speaking, But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus... This was another one of those moments where, you know, people were questioning him and interrogating him and trying to, you know, trick him and ask him impossible questions. And, and Jesus is saying, look, um, if you have witnessed me casting out demons, and don't you love it? He said, with the finger of God. You know, sometimes we talk about, you know, we have euphemisms like one hand tied behind my back or didn't hardly have to lift a finger, you know. So when he's saying, you know, not with the right arm of God, not with all the might of God, but with the finger of God, um, you know, just casting out demons with the finger of God. Amen. Jesus says, if you see me doing this, it can only mean one thing, that the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, this, I think, is, uh, again, significant to, to mention or to remind you of, because we've talked about it already, Jesus did not operate according to the model of the Old Testament prophet. Jesus was not um, especially appointed. I mean, he was special and he was appointed and he was anointed. But in the Old Testament, you would have a, a person chosen from among the people. That, you know, God would choose them. He would put his spirit upon them, a portion, a measure. The Bible says of Jesus that the Holy Spirit was given to him without measure. Okay, And we know that he operated uh, in, in full... Uh, you know, gifting in, in full anointing in every office, king, priest, and prophet. But he's saying that because um, people have witnessed him casting out demons with the finger of God, that it's, it's significant. It's, it is a hallmark of the kingdom of God coming to the earth. Now, go with me to Luke, the 16th chapter. And I think maybe you're starting to get the flavor of what I mean by a, a, an overview tonight. We're looking at a lot of different verses, um, and we're going to do, <laughs> we're going to be probably pressed to get them all in before uh, we're out of time in this class. But in Luke, the 16th chapter, Jesus says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. The law and the prophets were until John. Now, the law and the prophets is just a fancy way of talking about the Old Testament. And we did a whole, or part of an entire class on the transition. We talked about rightly dividing the word. 
and the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament and how the, how the old has faded and the new has come. And John the Baptist and Jesus uh, are representative of those two systems. So when John said, I must decrease, Jesus must increase, he's talking about the closing out of the old and, the, and, and, and simultaneously the rising up or the coming forward of the new. So Jesus says the law and the prophets were until John. This is speaking again of John the Baptist, not John the Beloved, not Jesus' disciple, uh, you know, John. Uh, but again, John the Baptist. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, or since John came, um, the kingdom of, he- of God has been preached. Who preached it? We've already covered who all preached it, right? Everybody who's preaching is preaching it, okay? Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing in to it, okay? Now, this is interesting as well, because while people are pressing into the kingdom, we know that they're not going to be able to actually enter into the kingdom until Jesus dies on the cross, and that obviously has not happened yet. So here is a way that I picture this in in my mind. Um, It's been a few years since I've been to one of these events, but like like Winter Jam is is a a concert series that comes to Birmingham uh, every, every, usually February. And it's a lot of, uh, you know, Christian artists, uh, recording artists, and it's a flat $10 or what it used to be, I don't know what it is now. And it's general admission. And so you better get there early if you want to get a halfway decent seat. And so we'd stand and stand and stand outside the Birmingham Jefferson Civic Center waiting for the doors to open. In other words, the building was there, the concert was on, the artists were in the building, um, but we couldn't get inside until the doors were open. So we were all pressing into it, waiting for the doors to open. This is what was going on when Jesus brought the kingdom to the earth. He brought His Father's kingdom here. People began to preach that this kingdom was here. And now those hearing that message were responding to it and and were trying to press in. In other words, they wanted in. Let me, I'm not trying to water this down, but let me say it another way maybe that might help it kind of click with you. They wanted in on this. They wanted in on what they were seeing. They, they wanted this to be more than just an epiphany, more than just a wave, more than just some passing thing that Jesus did. They, they wanted uh, you know, to, to be a part of this. They wanted um, you know, to receive from this kingdom, but they also wanted to contribute to it. And so people who are hearing this message and seeing the signs and the results and, 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 and the um, transformations that this kingdom is producing... People are drawn to that. People are drawn to answers. People are drawn to results. And so they're they're wanting in. And Jesus says everyone is pressing into it. Now, John chapter 3 is a verse that we've looked at uh, already a few times. But this is back to Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said to him, said to Nicodemus, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, Then I'm going to change it over to verse number 5. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. All right? So, 
what's, what's, what are we seeing? What are we, what are we learning? The kingdom is here. Jesus brought it. And He's telling folks, it's as, it's as close now as your outstretched hand. And, and what you're seeing me do and, and the miracles that you're seeing me perform. And remember those folks, man, that had the, the seafood buffet that day? You know, the little boys' fish and chips that, that fed thousands and thousands of people. I, I, I'm convinced that that was, you know, those, those people live like a lot of folks in our world today. They live where, where food and the abundance of food is very scarce. And so to just have that kind of fish and bread and just eat it un- until your belly hurts, right? And, um, you know, but, but again, that's Jesus. And, and this, is, this has got people stirred up. I mean, this, is, this, is, this has people, um, you know, considering that there's a better way, there's another way uh, to, to, uh, to do things, right? So the kingdom is here. But in order to see that kingdom and ultimately enter into that kingdom, Jesus says, you have to be born again, okay? And again, that's not going to be possible until he dies on the cross. All right, now, here's just another verse that basically says the same thing. Um, And said, Matthew 18 and 3, Jesus speaking and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me stop here for a moment because we're fixing to enter into a section on this kingdom overview teaching that I believe is, is going to help a lot of people. It's going to bring clarity where there has been confusion and error, okay? And one of the classic mistakes that people make is they read what Jesus had to say about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, entering the kingdom of heaven, and they incorrectly think that he's talking about going to heaven when someone dies or by way of the rapture, okay? So this is a classic mistake. It goes back to things we talked about a few classes ago, Um, not, you know, people incorrectly are not rightly dividing the word of truth where they read something about heaven and their minds automatically go to uh, pearly gates and streets of gold and, you know, going to heaven when we die. And this, again, has created, you know, so much... uh, confusion and misunderstanding and even one key verse that we're going to look at here in a few minutes it's it's led to a lot of wrong teaching and wrong doctrine uh, in in the body of Christ and so praise God we're going to we're going to clarify that and I am uh, really really excited about it so let's um, let's continue talking about the kingdom but let's make sure we based on what we've learned up into this point let's make sure we understand uh, you know, uh, some, some key things here, okay? All right, so Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus speaking, And he said to them, Assuredly I say to you, that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Okay? Now, I've actually heard people say that... Um, you know, this is referring to, they're wrong, but they, they, they say, well, this, 
this must be referring to the rapture. And, and how could those folks, um, you know, if Jesus said there are people who stand in there alive right now that will still be alive when the kingdom of God, you know, is present with power. Um, again, this is not talking about going to heaven. This is not talking about the rapture. This is not talking about Jesus returning, His return to this earth. The Bible teaches us all that, and all of that's absolutely true, and it's coming. It hasn't come yet, but it's coming, okay? Um, and so you hear this and you think, well, you know, as a matter of fact, we even see that a lot in the early church because, you know, all those folks, you know, they're getting older and they're dying and, and they're believing that Jesus is going to come back. And then this rumor started that he had already come back and people missed it um, because, you know, they weren't ready. And, 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 and uh, then others said that, that, that Jesus promised us this and, um, and now he's broken his promise. Uh, he's not uh, slack, as some men count slackness concerning his promise, but is long-suffering to us where the Bible says. So a lot of what we see uh, in other places in the New Testament um, you know, these kinds of verses, they were given by the Holy Spirit to the body of Christ to correct a lot of misunderstanding and, and error uh, because of a misunderstanding of this particular verse. So he's talking about the kingdom of God present with power. He's talking about the government of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, the resources of God, right? Um, all of those things present with power, functioning at full capacity here on planet Earth, all right? Now, um, maybe you've just kind of been jotting down some verses and stuff up until now. I, I would like for uh, you to take a moment and let's go to Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21. Matthew 7 and 21. Let me get a sip of water right quick while you turn there. All right. Matthew 7 and 21. Now, I want you to keep an open heart. Matter of fact, I want to look at you in the camera here for a moment before we go there. I'm asking you please, especially if you were raised in church, especially if you were raised uh, in certain denominations that taught you something completely different than what I'm about to say to you, I'm asking you to pray about it. I'm asking you to keep an open heart and open mind. I'm asking you to consider, amen, just consider, my job is to read the verse and make the sense. Your job is, you know, does it bear witness with your spirit? Does it line up with other things in, in the Word of God? Um, in other words, it's a strong word, but your, your job is to test the fruit or to judge what I'm saying. I encourage you to do that. I'm asking you to do that. Uh, but I'm also asking you to keep an open heart and open mind because th there are things that people have extracted from this verse because of a misunderstanding of it that have created a lot of confusion and, and uh, a lot of you know, wrong teaching and, and, and uh, error and fear uh, doubt, uh, all these things that are, are condemnation, all these things that are absolutely not good, okay? So, you promise me? All right, I'm holding you to it. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 7, and let's begin at verse number 21, all right? Jesus speaking, not everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Okay? One more time. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, <clears throat> this, I think, has left a lot of New Testament believers in a dazed position, kind of like a verse we're going to look at in a moment, you know, where Jesus told his disciples, unless your um, righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven, okay? And they're like, well, goodness, who can be saved? <clears throat> There's been a lot of folks that have, have read these verses and they're thinking, because notice Jesus didn't deny that they had prophesied. He didn't deny that they had cast out demons. He didn't deny that they had done wonders in their name. Jesus didn't look at them and say, what are you talking about? You didn't do any of that. No, he didn't question any of that at all, okay? He says that he would declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, all right? So there's a lot of folks who've looked at this and they thought, well, who can be saved then? I mean, you know, I mean, people that that were at this level of spirituality and, and, and at this level of, of ministerial accomplishment, you know, uh, and they're going to bust hell wide open? Well, why am I even bothering, you know? And, and again, this is where some of that error and some of that uh, wrong, uh, fearful uh, thinking uh, that I was mentioning to a moment ago. Now, mentioning uh, a moment ago. So we're going to break this verse down together. First thing I want you to understand is what Jesus is saying here. And then very, very important, I want you to understand to whom he is saying it, okay? Who he's talking to here. Now, let me, let me begin with a simple question. How does a man or a woman enter the kingdom of heaven? Okay. Well, according to the scriptures, the only way that a man or a woman enters the kingdom of heaven is through the new birth. So when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, okay, what we see here is that, praise God, I'm getting ahead of myself, what we see here is that, that people get off base trying to understand this verse because they throw out what the Bible teaches, that our salvation is not based upon our performance. It's our salvation and being right before God in the eyes of God is not based upon what we do or how well we've performed. It's based upon one thing and one thing only, the blood of Jesus and, 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 and His gift of righteousness that He bought and paid for us with His uh, spilled blood. All right, so let me, let me ask you another question. Can a man or a woman do enough good works to enter the kingdom of heaven? Or, and this is, again, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to see both sides of it. I'm going to make sure that we, we emphasize this. Can a man or woman do enough good works to enter the kingdom of heaven? Or can they do enough good works to go to heaven when they die? Because again, entering the kingdom of heaven and going to heaven when you die, we're talking about related things, but we can't confuse them as being the same thing. Okay? So again, the classic mistake people make is they think entering the kingdom of heaven, verse 21 in Matthew chapter 7, is talking about going to heaven when you die. It's not talking about going to heaven when you die. It's how, how a man or a woman gains entrance into the kingdom of heaven while they live here on planet earth. So again, I'm going to ask you the question, can a man or a woman do enough good, enough good works to enter the kingdom of heaven while here on the earth? And the answer is absolutely not. We'll talk about this in much more detail and depth when we get to the part of our teaching together about the new birth and salvation, right? But remember, it's not of works. 
it's a gift, grace by, by faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible's very clear about that, okay? But th- then again, can a man or woman do enough good works to go to heaven when they die? And again, the answer is, a, is, is an absolute hard, it's a hard no. It's not a soft no, it's a hard no, all right? So, what is the will of God then pertaining to entering into the kingdom? In other words, what, what is it that God wants for people to do in order to enter the kingdom? It's very simple. He wants them, His will, when it comes to entering the kingdom of heaven, is to receive the gift of salvation that He has provided. Let me remind you of a verse that we've looked at multiple times already. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, speaking of God, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All right? So this is the will of God as it pertains to a man or a woman entering into the kingdom of heaven. Obviously, going to heaven when you die uh, is based upon or dependent upon you entering into the kingdom of heaven while you're alive. You, you have to be born of water, born of a woman, you know, your mother's water breaking, born physically, born spiritually in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay? So that brings us then to a very important question. Who is Jesus talking about here? Um, to whom is He uh, addressing these words? Stay with me. These verses are referring to those who were already used by Jesus, but not yet born again. Let me say it another way. Who was alive when Jesus was alive that had cast out demons? Who was alive when Jesus was alive that had already produced signs and miracles and wonders based upon a delegated authority from the kingdom? Who had already went and prophesied, preached, repent for the kingdom is at hand? Well, if we do the math, there were 70 missionaries, there were 12 disciples that makes 82 jesus obviously you know uh and and then john the baptist okay so think about it now really what we're talking about i'm not trying to split the doctrinal hairs on jesus and john the baptist let's just talk about the 82 70 and 12 82 men and women okay had they been used powerfully absolutely had had they performed amazing miracles because of the kingdom. Absolutely. But that is not enough to save them. That alone is not enough. So Jesus is saying, look, you know, it was well known that these 82 people were doing these things. Uh, it was no small stir. But Jesus is making a very important point here that these folks have to be born again just like everybody else. This is who these uh, verses are are speaking to. Amen or oh me, I hope you're uh, dialing in, picking up what I'm putting down. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 1. Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11. Matthew 11 and 11. Hey, by the way, today is the 11th day of the 11th month. If you're watching this, uh, happy Veterans Day. Um, And if you watch it later... Uh, happy belated uh, Veterans Day, if you're a veteran. Amen. We love you and thank you for what your, your service and your sacrifice uh, for the rest of us uh, in, uh, in this country. So 
it's a, it's a beautiful thing that you've done. But anyway, Matthew 11, 11 uh, reminded me uh, to do that. And the Bible here, Jesus speaking, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, before I take this word off the screen, I want you to pay close attention to the word assuredly. Assuredly. I don't have the King James Version in front of me, but it probably says something like verily, verily. Okay. Now, anytime you see the word assuredly in Scripture, this means Jesus is about to tell you something that is going to be very difficult for you uh, to, to think is true. Okay? In other words, he's fixing to tell you something that's absolutely 100% true, but it's, it's, it's going to seem a bit, we might say, far-fetched. All right? And Jesus anticipating you know, it just sailing over people's heads or going in one ear out the other or them just completely writing it off as, as being uh, no way. Um, he, he warns us. He, he gives us, you know, fair warning. Assuredly, listen to me very carefully. If it can tell you something that's astounding, don't be astounded. Don't be, uh, co- you know, confused by it. What is he saying? He says, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. We see the same thing uh, confirmed in Luke 7 and 28. For I say to you, among those born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Okay, now, wow, let's maybe take a breath here for a moment. This is Jesus speaking. This is the Master Himself speaking to us. He's the one that's saying this. And this is not intended to put John down, okay? But He's trying to help you understand something uh, that's true about you, true about me, uh, if you've been born again. So again, those born of a woman, there's not a greater, there's not a greater person born of, of, a, of, a, of a woman than John the Baptist. But the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist, greater than he. All right. Think about what he's saying. This, this to me is one of the most powerful um, measuring sticks. Uh, in other words, ways to, to really um, you know, pull two things alongside one another to, to, to see and, and compare them. And, and so you have, let me take this hand away, all right, so this, this is representing John the Baptist, right? And there's ba- Jesus is basically saying he's the best of that old system, all right? And then you come in the new system alongside, and Jesus says if you take the very best that the old system produced and bring alongside the very least that's been produced by the new system, the very least in the new is greater than the greatest in the old. Man, see, again, the kingdom is here, and it's here to stay. The kingdom is here, and it's here to stay. And this is what you're a part of. It's what I'm a part of. It's a, it's a, it's a phenomenal thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's, a, it's so encouraging to understand this. I said this in a class this week, you know, and I realized how much Jesus had to pay in order to get me back, to buy me out from under my enslavement to sin, and, and to redeem and ransom me. 
when I realized how much he had to pay uh, for me, I came to one conclusion. He sees value in me that I have yet to see in myself. Okay? Now, I know that, you know, again, assuredly, Jesus said, I know this is kind of hard for some folks to fully understand, but we need to start wrapping our heart and mind around this. Repent. Okay? Um, I didn't say this earlier, and I probably should have, but, you know, my denominational upbringing, um, repent to me meant stop sinning. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, you talk about somebody's being backslidden. And, um, you know, do you want to recommit, rededicate yourself to Jesus and, and do the 180, you know, where you go in one direction, you turn around and go another, okay? Um, and a lot of that, I'm not, I'm not saying that that was wrong or incorrect, um, but repent doesn't mean stop sinning, okay? It, it means to change the way you're thinking. And, and there's connection there because um, we know that from inside of us come the things that are, that are done outside of us. Uh, from the heart spring forth the issues of life. And if you've got issues in your outward man, outward life, you'll never conquer those issues until you let the Lord help you change what's on the inside of you that's producing what keeps cropping up, the fruit that keeps cropping up on the outside of you. And, and a lot of that has to do, after you've been born again anyway, a lot of that has to do with your thinking and your mindset and your attitude. So let's kind of take a deep breath. Jesus is saying this here, something that we need to understand, embrace. He's saying that the greatest product of the, of the old um, is, is nothing compared to the least product of the new. And you say, well, Pastor Mark, how, how in the world could that be? John was such a, a great man. Well, there's one key difference, okay? Born of a woman versus born of God. So John the Baptist, as great of a man as he was, he was born of a woman, okay? But what we see in, um, in you know, someone in the kingdom where they're concerned uh, th- this is someone who has been born of God, born of the Spirit, recreated, um, you know, by God. Okay. Now, <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let up on this because we're gonna dig into it a little deeper here. Go uh, now to Matthew chapter five and verse nineteen. I'm gonna I'm gonna explain to you who the least in the kingdom actually is according to Jesus. So Matthew chapter five and verse nineteen. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. All right, we've got another verse we're going to look at. Let's talk about this for a moment, okay? I've said it before. The Bible says it over and over in different places, especially the Apostle Paul. Um, Understanding what Jesus has done for us uh, was never meant to give us an excuse to sin. And I think that's kind of a flimsy argument to grace anyway because people have never needed a reason or an excuse to sin anyway. Okay? And of course the Bible says, you know, because grace abounds, uh, does this mean we should just sin because grace is so much powerful than sin and, and we can never... Uh, sin beyond the grace that we've been given. Well, no, that's ignorance. Uh, sin has consequences. Um, and so again, I'm not here to teach that tonight. We'll get to those subjects and they're important ones. 
But what he's saying here is that the least in the kingdom, this is someone who's been born again. That's the only way into the kingdom is to be born again. The least in the kingdom is not just someone who breaks the commandments Jesus gave us, but teaches other people to do it. I mean, you think, man, it's one thing for, for you know, somebody to do these things. But some, you know, to me, it just compounds it that they're doing it and teaching other people to do it, uh, leading you know, somebody vulnerable, causing somebody else to stumble. Notice Jesus didn't say that gets them thrown out of the kingdom. Okay? <laughs> they're still born again. They just make some at a, at a very low tier, uh, least as Jesus used that expression, least in the kingdom. So least in the kingdom is someone who's been born again, but is, maybe they're still immature. I mean, I'm not here to, um, again, try to expound on this the next 45 minutes, but, but the, the bottom line of it is these people are not operating at a high level of effectiveness in their Christian walk and testimony. Okay? These are people that are, that are not only stumbling, but they're causing other people to stumble too. But Jesus said the least in the kingdom... A born-again man is still greater than a man who's only been born of a woman. All right? Now, let's go back to the next verse, and that's verse number 20. So I'm going to read, I'm gonna, uh, let me read them again. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I think it's important for us, um, and, I, and, and thankfully, obviously, Jesus you know, joined these two verses together, because they, they're related. Um, Let's talk about that last verse now, verse number 20. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You have to understand how this would have fallen on the ears of those you know, listening to Jesus. Because in their minds, um, a Pharisee was the picture of righteousness. They were the uh, big word like mayonnaise, the epitome of righteousness. That if you looked up righteousness in a dictionary, there'd be a picture of a Pharisee standing there. I mean, these guys, they had washing their hands down to um, a ritual um, where, the, where the Bible says, uh, you know, to keep the word in front of your eyes. Um, they would do these things called phylacteries where they would have verses hanging out in front of, you know, it's like this headdress thing and it extended out and they would keep a verse you know, out in front of them so that as they walked, you know, they had this, you know, like a verse out in front of their eyes. And so, you know, when they would walk down the streets, people would look at them and they would think, man, you know, th there is a picture of righteousness, you know, wearing a pair of shoes. And Jesus says, unless you're more righteous than them, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And so a lot of folks were like, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, well, you know, with Men, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Now, we know that Jesus, because we have the rest of the, of the New Testament now uh, at, our hand, at our fingertips, at our disposal, uh, for our understanding, we know that, that Jesus uh, obviously knew what was coming um, that would be expounded upon later by you know, Apostle Paul and others, is that Jesus 
uh, was going to die for our sin and enable us to be born a second time and be made His righteousness. The Bible says it this way, um, He who knew no sin became sin for you and me so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So what Jesus is saying here, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the, of the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, the religious establishment of Jesus' day, although held by other people as you know, you know, the standard of righteousness that everybody else was aspiring to, the true standard of righteousness is Jesus' standard of righteousness. And the Bible is very clear, it's the only standard of righteousness that's accepted by God the Father and the only standard of righteousness that will ever gain anyone entry into the kingdom of heaven while on the earth as well as the heaven when they die. Notice again, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. We automatically gravitate towards going to heaven when we die, but that's not what he's saying. He's talking about you've got to be righteous to enter the kingdom. You enter the kingdom through the new birth. Through the new birth, you are made righteous. Not as righteous as the Pharisees, but you are literally given the righteousness of of Jesus Himself as a gift. You are made right. Amen. You become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's just straight up good news. But I'm, I'm trying to show you this because of, of the connection between these two verses and, and what we're talking about. The, the greatest prophet born of a woman, John the Baptist, but the least in the kingdom is greater than John. That's no slight on John. People ask me when we you know, are all together in this room, I've anticipated the question so many times that I usually just go ahead and answer. I need to put it in my notes, right? Yes, I believe John the Baptist is in heaven. Absolutely. Remember when Jesus died, he went to the righteous dead according to the Old Testament standard and preached to them and, and, and liberated them um, and, and emptied uh, that holding place, Abraham's bosom, and relocated it uh, into the you know, paradise of God there in the third heaven. Yes, I believe that. But again, it's not the same as someone... Um, being born again. Remember, Jesus said this even after His resurrection, that there were people who saw Him and believed because they saw Him. But then He talked about you and me. He said, you've seen and you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have never seen and yet believe. And I haven't put my, my finger in the holes in His hands or felt that wound, uh, that scar on His side yet. But I believe. Amen. And you believe. And this is, uh, of course, a, a beautiful thing. Now, so this verse throws a lot of people off because they don't realize Jesus is referring to the gift of righteousness that He came to give to all who call upon Him to be saved. I'm just reading from my notes there for a minute to make sure I get all this covered. Let's, um, let's do this. Um, praise God. Well, let me put this on the screen right quick. A born-again man has been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And this is a standard far above um, you know, the most disciplined, the most devout, the most pious uh, religious man that has ever lived. Praise God. All right, let's go to um, Philippians 3. Philippians 3. Amen. I had... Um, a dear friend, he's like an older brother to me and Matthew, Richard Presswood. He was, he's just a constant source of encouragement for me. He's probably listening or watching right now or will be later. But he, um, he's a very intelligent brother and, and I respect uh, his thoughts and opinions. And one of the things that 
he was saying just, you know, again, because I appreciate the feedback um, on these broadcasts and, and, and on these uh, uh, podcasts and, and videos and things of that nature, because we, we want to do it with a spirit of excellence and, and professionalism. And so any comment that you have that, you know, would help, uh, had, a, had a brother from the foundry, he said, Pastor Mark, that, that backdrop behind you is nice, but that, that thing waving uh, behind you, he said, I wasn't sure if my eyes were playing tricks on me. Or Anyway, he, he, he asked one of his buddies, he was, is that thing moving or is that just me? So anyway, uh, can't do a lot about that right now because we've got to have a little airflow in here. It gets kind of warm uh, in here under these lights. But uh, anyway, that kind of feedback is very valuable to me. Um, I, I don't think you're being critical or, or you know, talking negative. Um, if you have a suggestion how we can make this better, we certainly want to do it. But one of the things that, that Richard said, in, 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 uh, and I never really thought of it, but it, in way of encouragement to me, was, um, was the pace uh, of, of these classes. And so uh, sometimes I get excited and I go fast uh, and I get loud. And, and I, I try to keep it, you know, I don't want to be monotonous um, with my tone and pace, but I do want to kind of, you know, almost, these classes, especially an hour and 45 minute class, it's, it's, it's like a marathon, you know, you got to kind of set a pace and keep the pace. So, um, but anyway, I hope I'm not going too fast for you. I feel like we've got a pretty good pace going tonight. Um, Richard's made me aware of that uh, more so than I have been before. Um, but anyway, praise God. Still talking about the kingdom, giving you an overview, uh, a sampling. We haven't talked about every single verse, but I'm, I'm trying to give you at least a skeleton of it um, so that you can understand these things. So now we're shifting, uh, for a moment anyway, uh, away from what Jesus had to say about it because the Bible doesn't stop talking about the kingdom when Jesus uh, returns to his Father's right hand. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, look at this verse, it's amazing. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, um, the Lord Jesus Christ. So our citizenship is in heaven. Amen. I, I'm going to say it was three Sundays ago and two Sundays ago, I preached um, uh, two sermons entitled, um, A Nation Inside a Nation. And um, it was directed not it was directed primarily to to those of us here in the United States of America um, but our brothers and sisters that are in other nations um, you are uh, a royal priesthood you are a holy nation you're a chosen generation and so we are the people of God we are the 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 nation of God um, and 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 he has strategically placed us inside the the, the nation that's all around us so that we can influence it and affect it with the authority and power that we have uh, from his kingdom. And so notice in Philippians 3, it, it, could, it couldn't be any clearer that our citizenship is in heaven. It, it, this is not an imaginary kingdom. This is not, um, you know, something that exists in the fog bank of someone's imagination. This is a very real government. It's a very real kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom, but real nonetheless. And as born-again men and women, we have entered into it, and we are now, according to Jesus, um, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Let me show you uh, this in another place. Um, Hebrews chapter 12 
and uh, verse uh, number uh, 22, um, Hebrews 12 and uh, 22, praise God. Um, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. All right? So he's saying you've come to Mount Zion. This, this particular verse is one that it, it'll, it'll probably be near spring before uh, we get, uh, you know, come back around to this. So there's a lot that we'll talk about. There's a lot we've got to learn uh, and, and look at before we get to, uh, you know, these particular verses. But I really wanted to, you know, put them in the notes here because in Philippians 3.20 it says our citizenship is in heaven. And in Hebrews um, uh, 12 and 23, it says that we've been called to the general assembly and church of the first, firstborn who are registered in heaven. Okay, So, um, in, in other words, there's a role. There's, there's, there's registration. Uh, your name is somewhere in heaven as a registered citizen of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of heaven, amen, um, if you've been born again. Now, let's do this, praise God. Um, the uh, most powerful thing in any kingdom is the word of the king, okay? The most powerful thing in any kingdom is the word of the king. Right now, I've said that many times. I've said that um, here. I've said that um, in in Kenya. Um, my uh, my dear son in the faith, and and those that are uh, tuning in there in Kenya, um, when I had the opportunity to be with them, and we preached on the kingdom, and it was one of the things that that um, that we talked about there. And, and so the most powerful thing in any kingdom is the word of the king, okay? And your king has said some things about you. Do you know what he said? He has declared some things over you. Do you know what he's declared? He has spoken some things about you. He has declared some things that belong to you. He has... Um, talked uh, as far as gone on the record and spoken uh, concerning your identity, concerning your covenant, concerning your future, concerning um, your inheritance, uh, concerning your authority, uh, concerning um, your, how much He loves you, and the list goes on and on and on. The most powerful thing in any kingdom is the word of the king and your king has said some things to you and about you, do you know what he has said? Now, I mention this here because we're, you know, sometimes we take a hard turn, or we'll finish one section and we'll go to another section. Um, other times we kind of make a gradual turn. And we've kind of made a gradual turn away from some things that I just want to keep you in remembrance of. And that is... Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. According to 2 Corinthians 5, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. 
And according to 2 Corinthians 5, in order to be effective as a minister of reconciliation, you've had the word of reconciliation committed to you. And when you open your mouth and speak as a minister of reconciliation, the Bible says it's as if God himself is speaking through you to those listening to you, be reconciled to God. So the, the, the word of his power, um, the word of the king, it is, it is, um, uh, it is established, it is uh, irrevocable. And, and if we were teaching on those things in great detail tonight, um, I would take you to different places in the scripture where a king was even tricked into saying something that he um, wished he could take back, but could not because the word of the king is final. So again, the most powerful thing in any kingdom is the word of the king. Your king has said some things to you. He has said some things about you. Do you know what he has said? Because we have a king who cannot lie. We have a king who, when he speaks, his words concerning us are eternal. They are yes and they are amen. Praise God. All right, now, let's go to Acts chapter 1 and verse number 1. Acts 1 and verse number 1. Praise God. I put it up on the screen. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Wow. Okay. Now, we uh, have slipped back to uh, the book of Acts. We're kind of working our way through some different things in the Gospels. And we see how, you know, Jesus taught us so much about the kingdom. I haven't mentioned this yet. Let me mention it now. We'll probably look at it, at, at least mention it again, if not look at it a little closer, depending on how much time we have towards the end. But don't do it now. Obviously, stay tuned in with me right now. But if, if you go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially, John's gospel is, a, you know, the Holy Spirit used John a little bit different in his gospel, but if you go into the gospels and you look at the teachings of Jesus and how many times he began a lesson by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. He would say those words and then he would tell us a story that we could connect with and relate to because his ultimate goal was to explain to us something about the kingdom. In other words, Jesus' primary message was the kingdom. He taught about the kingdom more than anything else. He wanted us to understand the kingdom. He wanted us to know about the kingdom. He wanted us to enter into the kingdom. He wanted us to be able to function as citizens of, as members of His kingdom. Praise God. And so this was, again, Jesus' message. If, you, if you've never noticed that in, in reading the Gospels, go back and look at how many times He brought up and taught about, taught on the subject of the kingdom. Now we come to Acts chapter 1. We know at the end of the Gospels that after Jesus 
he died on the cross, he was buried, he was raised back to life after three days, he ascended back to his father's throne to pour his blood out on the altar there. Um, we then know that he was seen alive by his disciples, by his followers, um, for uh, over the course of um, 40 days. It wasn't like Jesus made a brief appearance on Easter Sunday and was out of there, okay? Um, he was alive and well and made multiple appearances on planet Earth for 40 days. Okay, that's extremely important. All right? He died on Passover and, and, um, and then, you know, 40 days later, we know Pentecost, 50 days after Passover is when the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. Even, you know, on one occasion, the Apostle Paul talks about Jesus appearing before hundreds of people. I know a lot of folks are like, you know, maybe skeptical about these things. Listen, you know, you, you can't just say that. And I, I'm, I'm well aware, you know, of how, you know, the profession of journalism has been so weakened um, in, in the United States. Um, I, uh, uh, I actually have a degree in communications. I, I studied journalism. Um, it's, it's a very important and noble profession. Um, but it's very sad to me that so many journalists now have an agenda, and um, and the and what what a, what journalism is meant to add to a culture to a society um, is is being lost on us here in the United States, and and it makes it makes me very sad. Um, so much so that I used to say very confidently, you can't just put in print that Jesus appeared before 500 folks <laughs> if it didn't really happen, but you know, that's kind of losing its oomph with people today because so many folks get on TV and put in print and write things and produce things that are not true, absolute fabrications, absolute lies. But in Jesus' case, in the, in the scriptures uh, where that's concerned, again, these things are absolute. They are 100%, right? So you may not know this, but um, Luke was a physician, a doctor, he wrote the Gospel of Luke that bears his name, and he also uh, wrote the book of Acts. When I say he wrote it, obviously the Holy Spirit through him um, wrote these things. And so um, he's talking about the former account that he made. He's addressing this um, uh, work that we know as the Acts, A-C-T-S, of the apostles. Um, he is addressing this to his friend Theophilus, okay? And, he, and he's talking about the former treatise, as it reads in the, uh, in the New Testament. Um, the former account that he made is referring to the gospel uh, of Luke that bears um, his name. And notice he says that what was recorded in Luke's gospel was a record of all that Jesus began both to do and to, de to teach. Began to do. Began to teach. In other words... Jesus is still teaching and is still doing, if you will, through his body. And that's, that's what the book of Acts, among other things, is, is a record of. Um, what the body of Christ uh, continued to do um, once Jesus, after 40 days, ascended to the throne of the universe, um, where he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay. Now, I, don't, I feel it's kind of bogging down a little bit. I apologize if I bog this down. The key thing I'm wanting to point out to you here, and, and I, I like to give you as much background of these things as I can, um, but notice it says that he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, okay, beyond any shadow of a doubt. 
being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So what was Jesus doing for the 40 days in between his uh, resurrection and his uh, you know, ascension back to the throne of God? He was teaching. And what was he teaching about? He was teaching, speaking on things pertaining to the kingdom of God. All right, now let's go to the, uh, almost to the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, Acts chapter 28, and verse number 23. It says, So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him in his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Okay? So, let me give you a little background here. When it says they appointed him a day, the him here is the Apostle Paul. He has been imprisoned and um, he's uh, been put up in a, in a pretty nice uh, place. And now folks are coming to him. Uh, throughout most of Paul's ministry, he went to people. At the end of his ministry, people came to him and he taught them. But notice, again, the subject of the Apostle Paul's teaching. He explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. And he did this from morning till evening. And you thought an hour and 45 minutes was a long class. Man, Paul would start in the morning and he wouldn't finish till dark. We even have one occasion where he was teaching and a dude fell asleep and fell backwards out a window. All right, so amen. Not that we're going to do that, but I'm just saying, praise God. So this message of the kingdom, I'm trying to show you how prominent it, it was, how important, um, when I say it was, how it was to um, the beginnings of the church, to Jesus, to the apostles, to the apostle Paul, and, and how it should also be uh, important to uh, you and to me. Okay, now let me give you a couple more verses here, and these are some pretty powerful ones now. Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. Luke chapter 12 and verse 32. Jesus speaking, He says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do not fear, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The Bible says that, that our God does exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Okay, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. He is a God who always impresses. He is a God who always does more and gives more than anybody could ever in their wildest imagination uh, believe that He would give or do. This is who He is. And so a lot of times, you know, um, you know the context of this is, you know, is Father going to help us with our light bill? And is He going to help us with, the, with some clothes to wear? And, and is He going to make sure that we have some food to eat? And Jesus is like, do not fear little flock, okay? For it is Father's good pleasure uh, to give you a monthly stipend. Is that what it says? No, <laughs> it's Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To give you the kingdom. As we see in our study began with Him giving you the keys to the kingdom. He's given you the keys to the kingdom. He's given you the kingdom itself. Amen. This kingdom of His has now become yours. All right? Maybe we needed an assuredly before that. 
Okay, let's go now to Luke 17. Luke 17, uh, verses 20 through 21. It says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Okay, so I want you to kind of, you know, get the, the, the picture here of what's going on here. Jesus talked about the kingdom everywhere he went. Uh, Jesus was constantly talking about kingdom this and kingdom that and kingdom here and kingdom there. So much so that the Pharisees are like, this kingdom that you're talking about, when is it going to come? Okay. Now, this brings us to an important point. I draw your attention back to the classic mistake that Nicodemus made. Nicodemus, when told a man must be born again, could not comprehend it because he only thought in terms of something physical. And he said, how can a man when he's full grown go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus said, what's born of the flesh is flesh, but what's born of the spirit is spirit. And because we're so familiar with physical uh, things that we often try to understand everything from a physical perspective. One more time, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it's real, but it's spiritual. And one of the things that confused so many people in Jesus' day, even though he explained it to them, they just had, it was one of those areas they did not repent, they did not shift in, in their focus and in their thinking, was when he talked about the kingdom, they were thinking a physical kingdom. They believed that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and restore the glory days of Israel back you know, with the, the, the military power of David and the wealth of Solomon. And, and, and that was what they understood. And while the Pharisees hated Jesus, they weren't real fond of Roman rule and authority either. And so I don't know if they were poking fun at him or trying to mock him when they asked this, or if they legitimately were curious um, in that he may have something up his sleeve. I don't know what was behind their question, but they're asking Jesus when the kingdom would come. And Jesus answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Right? What is Jesus saying? He's saying, you know, there's, there's not going to be uh, this um, ceremony you ever, you ever seen folks, they build a building and they have this big ribbon and they got the big scissors and they cut the ribbon, you know. That was kind of what Jesus was saying. And that, was, that was like what the, the disciples were asking. You know, when, is, when, is, when is it going to open? When, when are you, when are you going to, uh, you know, make this available? When is this going to happen, right? And Jesus says it, it doesn't come with observation. It's not physical like you're thinking of something being physical. Doesn't mean it's not real. Doesn't mean it's not powerful. Remember, everything we can see came from a realm that we can't see. Everything that's visible came from a realm that's invisible, okay? But again, he says it doesn't come with observation. Doesn't come with observation, right? Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Now let's go back to 
What is the kingdom of God? It's the rule of God, the reign of God, the realm of God, the resources of God, the government of God. The entire government of God. Amen. He says He's given it to you. Where is it then? It doesn't come by observation. It's not going to be a ribbon-cutting ceremony. Because Father God, in His infinite wisdom, has chosen to put His kingdom inside of you. So is everyone. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus produced visible results from an invisible source. Where was the kingdom that Jesus was producing these results from that He brought to this earth? That kingdom was in Him. And if you're a born-again man or woman, His kingdom is in you. Now, in Matthew, the 13th chapter, in Matthew, the 13th chapter, Jesus goes back to back to back to back, basically seven parables in a row. And I think with every one of those parables, maybe with the exception of one, but it's implied even though he didn't specifically say it. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. And every time he would tell a, a parable, every time he would teach and, and give us something the kingdom of heaven was like, and of course his disciples are there and they're hearing these things. And Jesus is, is teaching on not just what is his favorite subject, but what he, according to his father, told him what he believed was the most important subject for him um, uh, to teach on. Praise God. Brother, you mind pulling that door too for me? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> if y'all are wondering what, what those sounds are in the background, um, we have service here at Heritage uh, at 7 tonight, so in about 27 minutes we'll be starting uh, service there. And, um, and so anyway, that's some folks getting here for church. Praise God. We're glad they're here. Amen. So I didn't want them to be a distraction uh, to you. Praise God. All right. So he, he goes seven parables in a row. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like, 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 okay? And then he comes to Matthew, the 13th chapter, and uh, I'll put both verses up, 51 and 52. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. All right, now let me, let me come back here for just a moment. Jesus says, have you understood all these things? And they're like, yes, sir. We got it, sir. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I believe that in their minds, they believe that they did understand it. Kind of in the same way in my mind <laughs> that, that I'm convinced I understand some things that um, I may understand about that much of. When there's that much more of it, I still don't. Amen. Um, but I'm thankful for what I understand, and I'm going to stay humble, and the Holy Spirit's going to keep teaching us all together. Amen? Praise God. So Jesus gives them this, again, you know, all of these truths and all of this teaching about the kingdom. And, and I'm sure at the end of it, it's, it's kind of like sometimes I say, are you getting anything out of this? Is this making sense to you? Is this helping you? You know, he, he was wanting some feedback from them. And, and so he says, he says, have you understood all these things? And they're saying, yes, yes, sir, we, we got it, all right? So notice what Jesus says to them next. Then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Okay, well, I read that verse for years. I knew that it was an important verse, and I kind of had 
at least in, in, in my mind, some understanding of, of, of what it meant. Because, you know, remember the kingdom is in you. The kingdom of God, among many other things, is speaking of the resources of God. And so Jesus is saying every scribe, every student that's instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven um, is able to bring out of his treasure. Uh, in other words, the, the treasure of the kingdom. We have a treasure, the Bible says, in earthen vessels. And so he's put his kingdom inside of us, and, and we ought to be able to access you know, what's in us um, in order to help other people and minister to and serve other people. Okay? And I was on the right track, but the message translation so puts this in perspective. Notice what the message translation says. And Jesus said, he said, Then you see how every student well trained in God's kingdom is like the owner of a general store who can put his hands on anything you need, old or new, exactly when you need it. Okay? Now, this to me so captures what Jesus is saying here and, and does it in, in, a, in, a, in a, you know, I, I want to say simple and I want to say profound at the same time. It's profound in what Jesus is, is, is saying, but the message translation makes it so simple. So let's, let's go back over it again. Jesus does all this teaching on the kingdom. He says, okay, guys, you know, have you got this? Do you understand this? And they're like, yes, sir, we've got it. We, we, we understand it all. And Jesus says, well, let, let me tell you um, what your life will look like when you do understand these things. He's saying that every student who's well-trained in God's kingdom, every student who truly does understand God's kingdom, Every student who truly does understand that his kingdom has been given to them, his kingdom has been given to you, every student who understands that his kingdom is inside of you, that individual, that student, is going to be like the owner of a general store. The owner of a general store who can put his hand on anything that anybody needs anytime they need it. Amen. Think about what he's saying there. That if, if somebody needs healing, there's healing in the kingdom for them. If somebody needs breakthrough, there's, there's powers to break through obstacles and move mountains in the kingdom for them. If, if, if somebody needs provision, if somebody needs answers, if somebody needs direction, if, if somebody needs purpose and meaning, he's saying all of these things. It's like the owner of a general store. You know, you've got a general store, and then you've got like an auto parts store. Um, you know, don't go to an auto parts store for a gallon of milk and for a loaf of bread. Amen. So the idea behind a general store, a general store is going to have dry goods, it's going to have food, it's going to have fuse for the, uh, you know, for your fuse box, and, and, uh, and, and, and you know, basically a whole array of, of, of things that, um, you know, are available. And so in this case, anything, he says, the owner of a general store is like the owner of a general store who can put his hand on anything that you need. Wow, man, this, this excites me right here. Praise God. All right, let's keep trucking. John chapter 17, verses 15 and 16. We have looked at these verses before. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So remember what Jesus taught us once again. As His uh, body, as, as this holy nation, royal priesthood, um, uh, chosen generation, praise God, that, um, that, that we are in this world, but we are not of it. And we are here as an ambassador 
um, as a representative that is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, that has been given the kingdom of heaven, and we have that kingdom inside of us. Praise God. How about this one? And this verse here is one that we you know, I often say and use the example of we've got to get it on our radar before we can ever get it in our lives. And this is not just an assuredly, it's a most assuredly. Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus speaking, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he'll do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Okay? So, if Jesus... Let's just say that Jesus was, um, you know, like those Old Testament prophets. Um, don't misunderstand me. In every way, he's one in a million times a million times a million. In other words, there's only one Jesus, Son of God. I'm not trying in any way to take anything away from him. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But I'm talking about not, not his beautiful identity as our Messiah and Savior and Son of God. I'm talking about the means by which he was able to do what he did. Okay? And, and we see that the means by which he was able to do what he did has now become the means by which we are able to do what he's called us to do. Not my words, his. I didn't say the works that Jesus did I could do also um, if Jesus goes to his Father. Jesus said that. I didn't make this up. Jesus is the one who said this in reference to the miracles and the signs and wonders that he produced because it was done by the, the, the authority and power and resources of his Father's kingdom, the same kingdom that we're citizens of, the same kingdom that we've been given, the same kingdom that is inside of you and me. Now, let me put a familiar passage up on the screen. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. See if this is familiar to anybody. In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right, one more time. In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, okay? Well, this, of course, is the opening of, um, praise God, people call it the Lord's Prayer. Um, it was really a model prayer that Jesus gave us to follow. This was in answer to a question that the disciples asked. Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, pray after this manner. Pray according to this um, method or, or according to this outline, all right? And if you'll look at, at all of these things, um, our Father in heaven, first thing you need to do is recognize that He's in heaven, you're on the earth, and that He's your Father. He's certainly God, He's certainly Creator, He's certainly Potter, and we're certainly clay. But He invites us, and it pleases Him when we come to Him as our Father. So He wants you to come to Him as Father. He's in heaven, it's understood that we're on the earth when we're praying to Him, and we hallow His name, we recognize who He is. And then notice what He says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, it's the kingdom coming onto the scene, into a situation. It's the presence of God's kingdom 
that provides the resources, power, and authority to carry out the will of God on the earth in men's and women's lives. Praise God. Well, amen. I just looked at the clock. I don't know what the look on my face was when I saw it up in the corner of my iPad here. Um, so we're clearly out of time, and um, I'm certainly not out of things to, uh, to talk about. Um, I mentioned this in the sermon on Sunday morning, and I said that I would talk about it tonight, or I think, may, I, hopefully I said I may talk about it if I get there, but um, we're not going to have time for it tonight. But what I mentioned in the sermon on Sunday morning is the difference between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. Gospel means good news, okay? And the gospel, the good news of salvation, is a message that we absolutely, positively are supposed to preach, okay? But Jesus didn't just preach the gospel of salvation. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of salvation is a means by which a man or a woman can enter into the kingdom, but if we only preach the gospel of salvation and never preach the gospel of the kingdom, we're going to have a bunch of born-again folks who don't know anything about the kingdom, how to function in it, what, who they are in reference to that kingdom and what's been given to them because of it. Okay, And so those are some things that we'll begin with on next Wednesday during our time together. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Um, Lord, for this class tonight, thank you for the truths, Lord, that we've had the opportunity to, um, to cover, and we've covered a lot of ground tonight, Father, a lot of important stuff that we have mentioned, and I just thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. We, we recognize Him once again, humble ourselves before Him as our teacher, and Father, I thank you that, that even what our brains may not be processing right now, our spirits are. And we receive what it is that you're saying to us. We know that it's stretching us, Father. We know that some of these things go beyond uh, the, the brain, the, the human brain's ability to comprehend. But, Father, we can understand them by faith, and that's what we do tonight. So, Lord, we thank you for the service that's ahead here in just a few minutes at Heritage. I thank you, Father, for um, the things that you have for us uh, in that service, Lord, prepared for us uh, there and we thank you for good things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I love you. Thank you for being with us tonight. As always, good things coming. And um, we'll be with you next Wednesday, if not before. Uh, you be blessed. Praise God.